Live. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I'm with you. From Let's the go. ISS vending machine floor. They have a whole floor to vending machines. I've just learned. Well, did, weren't we? Didn't we do this live from Glass Lewis's pickleball like, court? Pickleball courts are backgammon like game. The CFO of ISS to just called me to say that one floor of their entire headquarters is only snacks. It's only snack machine, vending machine. This is why the Republicans have ESG month. This is why they're mad. Too many snacks at the ISS. <laughs> I didn't read that in their briefings. It's the ESG industry's only weekly woke data podcast featuring BM man, Matt Muscardi. <laughs> Oh no, that's way worse than BS. In today's elbow super Gus called what? July 19th, 2023. Maybe the biggest ESG-ish headlines ever, I'm going to say. This is like, the, I was wow. nerding out yesterday, Matt, last night on my couch doing my headlines. It was like 10 p.m. It was hot. I have no AC in this room I was working in. And I thought to myself, these might be like the biggest ESG headlines I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Not only that, they might be the biggest free flow analytics headlines uh, ever released. We have an anti-woke update from Matt Muscari. Do we? Do you have an anti-woke update today? Uh, no, I just kind of have a board update is what I have. And we As do- in, I'm going to bore you with my board updates. And we do have a word from our sponsor. Our show today is being sponsored by S-Gage, your ESG data solutions provider. Yeah, Paul. I love a good sponsor. Paul oh, is driving yeah. down today. Yeah. He'll be stopping in later in the show to talk about director compensation. Yeah. Into, into the free float Portland studios. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, great show. It shows also oh, is it over? by, f- oh, by no. Free Float Analytics. Oh, yeah. Thanks free for Float coming. Analytics, sure. And don't forget, freefloatanalytics.com. Get your free data. Partial Part of that data is S-Gage data. Amazing S-Gage data. More importantly, go there for the, the beautiful graphics. Yeah, I love, I love looking in the eyes of the directors that run my companies. Yeah, because even if you don't, if you're not like attached to our data... There's a nice purples and nice. There's just nice data. There's nice colors on the website. I mean, first of all, why aren't you attached to our data? Well, but am. what do we got? We got a big show today. Let's do it. It's Woke Wednesday, in which most things are not that woke anymore. I mean, these top three headlines uh, potentially are just the biggest headlines we've ever seen in this uh, for this show. Uh, in no particular order. First, the Tesla board to return. $735 million in stock awards to end lawsuit over pay packages. Whoa! That's a lot of pay. It's incredible. This is an incredible... I, mean, I, I, I had to read this like six times. I was like, is this pot? This is a settlement agreement, Matt. So it's, all, it's done, right? There's not going to be an appeal. Well, I'll get to it a little bit oh, later. Oh, you will. There are probably good reasons why they settled. Okay, well, okay. Yeah. This was a case brought to by the Detroit Police and Fire Retirement Fund, okay? okay. Uh, Good for them. And they, they claim that by paying uh, the board directors an unfair and excessive compensation, the board deprived shareholders of significant sums of money, of course, right, right? Um, well, let's just be clear yeah. before we go any further. You said directors. This is not about Elon Musk's CEO pay. No, that 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 this case that, that's another case that's still pay. happening. This is just director pay. Director pay. Uh, this lawsuit accused Musk of stacking the board with friends and family, oh, ensuring wow. outcomes yes, he is, wanted. Wow, we're shocked. I can't believe it. And avoiding independent oversight. I, I, actually, I love I love the way they say this. They say this better than we've ever said it. Uh, he, they accuse Musk of stacking the board to ensure outcomes he wanted and to avoid independent oversight. That's what you're doing, right? Yeah, that's it. It's not just giving your friends jobs. Well, that's a part of that's it. A or nice your or, perk. Or your yeah. brother. But you're basically just ensuring that you get your way. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's what you're doing. You made your boss the people that you like and who like you. 
uh, as a uh, also as a shout out against the horrible say on pay system in the U.S., where it's non-binding votes, they reminded in the lawsuit they reminded the the court that a majority of independent Tesla shareholders rejected changes to director pay in 2014 and 2019. So the they actually shareholders actually had a voice in this, but they didn't listen anyway. So this group of director defendants, uh, it's a long list, and it includes uh, includes Elon. He's part of it. Includes Elon's brother Kimball. They are going to have to give back 3.1 million stock options valued, valued at roughly $750 million. Can I say here, too, mm-hmm. one of the things that you just said is non-binding. So uh, we just booked Re- House Representative Sean Caston from Illinois, who's on the House Finance Committee. Okay. He's forced to go to all these stupid hearings. And one of the things that he did... We didn't, what do you mean in, booked him? We didn't arrest him. What do you mean we booked him? No, I mean, he's coming on this oh, show. Oh, he's coming on the show. Okay. He's coming on this show. Sure. Next week, we're going to record. And then maybe after that, we'll arrest him. <laughs> well, he doesn't know that We yet. haven't decided but that yet. he had a back and forth um, with the, uh, the people testifying in which he asked a very simple question that Nell Minow, uh, mm-hmm. the the godmother of governance, yeah. said um, the answer to. He asked, are these votes binding? That Does anybody have to listen to your advice, ISS? The answer was no. Are the votes binding after you give the advice? The answer was no. And then he was like, what are we doing here? Why are we yeah. why are we wasting our time with this? Because it's true. You, it only becomes binding when it's a legal settlement because no one they don't have to listen otherwise. One part of the settlement agreement and it, 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 it what it doesn't answer though is what you're just asking is this will this be binding? The, the, my, the inference here is yes, but one part of the settlement agreement is that Tesla shall submit the proposed annual pay to these non-employee directors to an approval vote of the majority of unaffiliated Tesla stockholders every every year, which basically means that uh, people like Elon don't have won't have a say in it. But it doesn't say whether this will be binding. But this is highly unusual uh, corporate governance practice that you're now going to have to ask the non-connected shareholders whether they approve of specifically director pay. This is the second time mm-hmm. that the courts have forced a nanny on Elon Musk. Yes. The, the first this time being this board was forced to create a committee called the Disclosure Committee. Yes. That reviewed his tweets. And they, stripped, him, and they stripped his chair roll. And they stripped his chair roll. At, at some point, do we say there aren't enough nannies? Maybe the guy shouldn't have 700 jobs simultaneously? I mean... How well, many nannies is too many nannies? Well, I'm glad you talk about this because the, the, what the lawsuit doesn't cover because they're not yet subscribers to our data is that despite all this, despite the fact that Elon Musk does not control the company uh, by, by just share voting power, and it's despite the fact that there's a one share, one vote system, Elon still controls 72% of the influence on the board, according to our data, and his yeah. brother... Controls eight percent of the influence. So, while it's good they have to give back this these options, it it doesn't really solve the the no, initial problem, anything. right? No, we we, we haven't, haven't solved, solved his his oversized influence over what should be an independent board. Which I suppose answers the question: How many nannies is too many nannies? We actually have zero real nannies because nobody has influence over Musk. Musk still controls it all, right? Yeah. What, so what I would have liked to see here is for this, and, and I, I don't know the negotiation of this settlement, so it's it's possible that they did ask for certain governance changes that that didn't go through. What I would have liked to see here as maybe an important precedent to U.S. corporate governance is to suggest the very easy solution to boot Elon Musk from the Tesla board because it's what? not like you. But it's not like you're gonna. What? You're not gonna limit his power and control at the company. But what what you are going to ensure is that there will be an independent oversight board in place, How right? Dare you? So I. I I wonder you? if they did suggest this, but that that's the only remedy here is to get these U.S. CEOs off their boards. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they don't need to be on their bananas. boards. They don't need to be uh, on their boards. I don't know why it is a precedent, and it's a, a relatively global precedent, that the the boss of the company sits 
in the room with their bosses <laughs> yeah, and makes decisions. Oftentimes, I don't know they, why that's the president. Matt, and oftentimes they are the they lead that body. They're the chair of that body. Not not only are they in the room, but they <laughs> but they set the agenda for they, the discussion. Can you imagine when you were like a a oh, mid level analyst? Oh, I wish. When your bosses are discussing your pay and, I was and they're discussing the agenda. If you if they were like, <laughs> why don't you come in? We're gonna talk with you about you. Yeah. Like uh, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You you just got you basically you got a note on your desk that said you're fired. That was it. So this is free flow's way of saying let's start to get CEOs off of U.S. boards. Let's start. I Come like on. all this. I like your well, ideas. I, I, I know. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. Is it available? At, at least one Fortune 500 CEO should volunteer and just reach out to us. We can do a we can do a press release like through our show. Maybe you're going to step and down. Yeah. You're going to be a corporate governance pioneer. Nell Minow will be your new best friend. We can make that happen. We're, we'll just uh, we'll get what? this going. Yeah. It doesn't even have to happen to all of them because we can use our data to just show the ones that should step down, the ones with an outsized influence. Our data will tell you. Uh, and maybe, okay, next story. Ready? Okay, I'm ready, yeah. Maybe even Good bigger segue. news. Maybe this is even bigger ESG news for our, our... I'm just excited to get to the next story because, again, I haven't seen such big, uh, juicy ESG headlines like this in a while. BlackRock names oh. Saudi Aramco CEO Amin Nasser to its board. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, again, I couldn't believe, I was just like, I, my, my jaw was on the floor. So after all this pushback against Larry Fink for being way too woke and there's too much ESG, he has taken the, the ultimate step. He's appointed the CEO of Saudi Aramco to the board of Black. I mean, I, well, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. Let, let's come back to this yeah. one. Oh. Because, I, well, I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah. There's a lot of kabuki theater with this choice. Yeah. I mean, this is Larry Fink basically saying, oh, yeah, Republicans, you you think you're the only one who can do kabuki theater? Welcome to corporate kabuki theater in mm -hmm. which we put whoever we want on our boards and make it look like we're super oil friendly or not, or we signal something that does or does not matter. Because the reality is... 50% of the board influence is controlled by three people on the BlackRock board. Those people are Larry Fink, founder of BlackRock, Susan Wagner, founder of BlackRock, and Rob Capito, CEO of BlackRock, like the well, future CEO. I'm glad you pointed that out because what's lost in the discussion is that is that there's it's supposed to be an independent board. It's supposed to be a board that represents first shareholders, maybe stakeholders. Don't forget Larry Fink was the one who introduced the, the idea of stakeholder capitalism. So it's not a crazy thought. <laughs> Apparently, it's making somebody crazy. But notice that it's BlackRock who is naming the CEO, the the CEO of Saudi Aramco, to the board. Right? It's not this. It's yeah. not an independent nomination committee. It's Larry Fink. It's the founders. It's Larry. Yeah. It's Larry is the CEO and chair of that board, and one of its founders. And yeah. It's again. You want to? So, yeah. You want to know who the largest holder of Saudi Aramco's IPO, their debt IPO, I, and their IPO? I guess I want to know. It's BlackRock. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's not forget that Larry Fink is probably in the succession planning phase of his career anyway. Like like he, a lot of I reports. Think it's done. Capito, uh, I think, is it. So is that, is this a succession statement? Is this like, is he trying to say something here? I know you don't want to go too deep onto this yet. We'll be no, talking no, no. about this for many I, weeks I say, ahead, I, but. I, but I will make this prediction alert, yeah. okay? Um, that's my prediction alert mm -hmm. sound effect. Okay. It's a giant gong. Um, Larry Fink steps down as CEO of BlackRock into the Bob Iger role of executive chair. Of course. Of course, obviously. Rob Capito is at the, the, uh, the Bob Chapik. The boomerang holder? He'll be, he'll be shining holder. the boomerang. Susan Wagner and Larry Fink still sit on the board as co-founders. Mm -hmm. One's executive chair, one's just a co-founder. And Capito, it's one screw up away from the entire board just bringing back Larry Fink. I predict that before 2030, Larry Fink boomerangs back as the CEO of BlackRock. And he hasn't even stepped down yet. That's my prediction. Is this before, we, uh, uh, one more thing before we get off of BlackRock. Is this a victory for the anti-ESG crowd? 
Is this a direct? Is this a, a direct result of their shareholder activism that they are against in the first place? Because this really is old-fashioned shareholder activism, right? Like you, you rattle the cage for a bit, and maybe you get some kind of concession. Is that what this is? Uh, no, not no. what this is. <laughs> not even. I'll t- and I'll tell you why. It's yeah. not even close. Mm-hmm. Tell me. I'll tell you why later in oh. my segment. Oh, I see. I didn't know you were teasing your segment. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm not aware of tease. anything. All right. <laughs> uh, moving on, another big. Uh, although those two, those two are the biggest. I mean, I, it's hard to top that one. But another big one in our world is that Vivek Ramaswamy's investment firm, which we've talked about a lot, called Strive Asset Management. They position themselves as the anti-woke anti-ESG investment firm to trying to take yeah, the they po- said it explicitly trying to take the politics out of investing pro-excellence pro-excellence you know CEO's role is not to talk about people or feelings or politics or anything they are in the news uh, today because uh, the investment firm dials back its anti-woke rhetoric they in- <laughs> they sent a letter to investors and acknowledged that they are seen as more political over investment oriented, turning off investors and limiting its opportunities to grow. So there you go. Wow. You know, who'd have thought that somebody would not want to invest in a company that says, oh, all those other companies have a lot of data. Well, mm-hmm. we want to use less data to invest yeah. and only focus on a select bit of data and exclude all other data. And actually, we're not going to invest. We're actually just going to lease an index from somebody else and vote. So the only thing they do is vote for or against directors or shareholder proposals. Their principles are to vote against, wasn't his first, Vivek's first principle? DEI. To vote against DEI. DEI yeah, yeah. Anywhere there's a racial equity audit. Yeah, diversity. And those, yeah. If you actually think about what a racial equity audit is, it's a report that offers transparency about the people at the company, right? That's what it does. Mm-hmm. It, am I confused about what an audit is? It's a report, right? Yeah. So their founding principle was we want less Less data, less disclosure. Less data, less, less transparency. Less knowledge for you to make an investment decision. We are happy to vote against more women Yep. than everybody else who are on boards. And they somehow are seen as political and nobody wants to invest in that? I can't believe it. I was just watching a video posted on LinkedIn by its head of corporate governance, Justin Danaher, I think his name is. and, and Yeah, Dan Hoff. Dan Hoff. And, and I can see why investors are turned off because he clowns himself constantly by he's, he's blaming the cancellations at Southwest Airlines and the lost luggage over a very small sliver of of an executive pay that is uh, used to make a subjective assessment uh, based on a DEI ESG component. Again, it's <laughs> it's not tied it's not tied to any objective criteria. It's a very small percentage of overall annual pay. And he claims that that is the reason why their share price is tanking and why they lost all that luggage. So I would assume that any investor who sees this thinks that this is a clown show. Like they're not serious people. Was that about Southwest in particular? South. This was particularly about Southwest Airlines. Yes. Okay. Well, Justin. Yeah. We did an analysis of Southwest board, um, and it turns out that all of the things that you said are stupid. <laughs> because yeah, it's either a, because it's either a misunderstanding of what proxy data is, or it's an or it's an intentional misunderstanding to to come up with some bullshit political message. I mean, yeah. So why why is it he sounds like half dozen one? Why <laughs> like why is he wrong, Matt? So we did the analysis, right? Um, we actually, and I can tell you, we looked at everybody on the board. So, for instance. We looked at Bill Cunningham, who has been on the board for like 20 years and is best friends with Gary Kelly and a whole bunch of other board members. Um, Strive voted for Bill Cunningham. Mm -hmm. Bill Cunningham is like we could identify as one of the highly interconnected, really old sort of outsized influence directors 
that has repeatedly not funded tech upgrades to A, track your luggage, and right. B, make sure that you know tickets work and the, and the schedules work. If you want to know the DEI problem, it's that you have not enough of the DEI at the on the board or in management. Maybe yeah. that's your problem. I remember us pointing out that Southwest in particular is an ex- it's a very old board. It, it's it's, it's me, super old. It seems like it's an outlier for charts, age. Old. It and, was off the charts. And the one thing that you'll notice if you take DEI seriously. So w- when we say DEI, let's let's say it for what they're saying it is it's black people and women that's what they mean by dei yeah, yeah, that's okay what, and, and gays if they could figure out who they, they could find them but yeah. what what that class of directors what they do represent because we can see it in the data is they're just younger overall yeah well th- yes. there you go that that might be a start to finding people who understand tech for instance <laughs> just find some younger people yeah uh, j- uh I like that. I, I actually, I, maybe I'll make that a whole segment. I want to play that whole video. Uh, the, the article also pointed out that there's a new CEO over at Strive Asset Management, a man, actually, believe it or not, who came from CalPERS, the, the giant California pension fund, a man named Matt Cole, who spent 16 years running bond portfolios. Yeah. Did he run them or was he like an associate on the... On, like underneath it's a portfolio good manager. I like that this is their their version of a non-political figure, Matt, to run their company is described this way. He's a deeply religious Christian, but <laughs> but not but not outwardly political. Uh, oh, okay. That's their, solu- that's their solution <laughs> to clean up like the, the rampant right-wing politics over there at Strap. So He's, there you go. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. And just so you know, I the uh, the... Um, we do something called the um, uh, influence weighted age of a company. So you can take the most influential person or, you know, multiply their influence times their age and look at how old a company's decision makers are okay. rather than how old they are on average. And Southwest was the 99th percentile wow, amongst it. all airlines. It was it. by far the oldest of all airlines and tenure as well. They were their average their average tenure or the influence weighted tenure was like ten years, where Delta, JetBlue, American all under eight years. Uh, let me give you a quote. One more quote from Strive. This is Matt Cole, new CEO over at Strive. He says, "Don't get me wrong. We believe that shareholders are more important than other stakeholders." <laughs> and. Well, maybe it's the other stakeholders that lost your fucking luggage. Which is odd because you're you're by being too political, you essentially you are kind of bowing to the stakeholder sentiment, right? To other stakeholder sentiment. But anyway, he also says we do think the corporate ESG movement has been value value destructive and politically motivated. It started with don't hire slave labor in China, and now it's become something else. What is this misunderstanding of the of the historical timeline of ESG anyway, Matt? Like, what, <laughs> what does well, that mean? Every- <laughs> it started with don't hire slave labor in China. What what understanding of the movement does he have that I don't have? I'm not sure. What is he talking be- about? What is he I talking about? It started three thousand years ago, right? Like it. It's actually older than like traditional capitalism, and it had nothing to do with China. But what is like, he specifically even things. referring to? The Uyghur like, the, Labor yeah, there's Act. There's some deep obsession. Well, there's some. They're trying to connect the political talking point that he's using yeah. in his apolitical. Yeah, explain fund. this to me because he sounds like a moron. He tries to. They've been trying to connect how corporations don't care about using Uyghurs in China, but they do care about employing more black people in America. Like this is their the hypocrisy of the but woke it, capitalist movement. But the the inference here, when he says it started with "Don't hire slave labor in China," now it's become something else. It sounds to me he's saying that the "Don't hire slave labor in China" thing was okay. That was that was fine. That was good. No, I I don't. I, maybe he's saying that maybe yeah, it started off with the with good intentions, like yeah. no slave labor in but China. But why is that good intention? If they don't believe in stakeholder capital, why is that good? That should be bullshit why too. We, why do they care? Yeah, and, why do they care? And, and, we should use more slave labor, shouldn't we? And what's Isn't odd, that better for stake shareholders? Yeah, and what's odd is that I did a deep dive onto the ESG working group members of the Congress who were part of this ESG month and, and to a 
all, to no to uh, all of them, all 100% of them voted there was a Uyghur act in Congress a couple of years ago. They all voted for that. That's like the only socially left human rights ESG-esque thing that they all seem to support. I just I just wish someone would explain to me why, Matt. Why is that ESG nugget okay, but all of the rest of it is shit? I don't understand. Because it's anti-China. It's anti-China. Got it. It's just, so it's really it's the not Uyghurs are Muslims. I mean, so that's what's weird. China. Yeah. So I don't understand. They're pro-Muslim for once, but they, because no, 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 it's, no, they're not pro-Muslim. They're anti-China. They're anti-China. <laughs> but this again. <laughs> but this is a very ESG rights. move. But it's a very ESG move to care about labor and stakeholders. The so grand I, irony is yeah. if you were to back out and you were to say what is best for shareholders period like what is the 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 pinnacle of best for shareholders it would be there's no labor costs as in every one of your workers was enslaved or you you minimize the costs of them it would be that like um uh, tsr share share price goes up which means you should be able to manipulate it in any way possible that's great for shareholders you manipulate the cost up like the best thing for shareholders is using slave labor in china that is the best thing Absolutely. for shareholders. Slave labor anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, just find find somebody, enslave them, and that's great. Uh, moving on, the Biden administration. <laughs> Are you tired yet? Yeah, I'm the tired. Biden administration reveals tougher guidelines on mergers, uh, showing its commitment to an aggressive antitrust agenda aimed at curtailing the powers of big tech. Uh, this is the, yeah. saying the biggest antitrust movement since um, priorities established under Ronald Reagan. The only thing that's unclear to me here. And they're going to uh, announce more details into this big push later today, I think, is in light of the fact that the F- FTC chair, Lena Khan's, you know, quote unquote, failure to, to, to control the merger between Microsoft and Activision. What what does this mean? What what do these tougher guidelines mean? Do they mean anything or is this kind of political fodder? I don't I just, know. I don't yeah. care. Just wake me up when you break up meta. We break just, up something. I, yeah, like, I do something. I, I would agree. And I would just, when Lena Khan or Joe Biden call me, I would tell you just pay, just just start with Meta and don't quit until you're done. Just keep yeah, at correct. Meta, keep at it. I don't understand why, like we even tried to make an example of the Microsoft. Activision I don't understand that one, one either. Like seven bros in their basement play Call of Duty, and that's where we're making our stand. Yeah, I don't understand. You either. have a company that has more than 80% of the entire industry mm-hmm. consolidated underneath it. And, not and just, that company yeah. is not a company. It's one guy with dual class And shares. it's not just uh, like 80% of an industry like selling phones or selling like, you know, I don't even know, like Gmail or something stupid like that. It's literally... Th- the means to which we communicate with each other. It's yeah, the way that it's, it's, it's way the earth talks to each other and broadcasts news. I mean, you know, it's the, unbelievable yeah. that we're making our stand about call of duty. Uh, that's, moving, that's, moving yeah. on. There was a big report out of the BBC yesterday about a toxic culture of sexual assault, harassment, racism, and bullying uh, at the McDonald's. Oh, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, I want to guess the company. Yeah, it's too late. I think I already said it. <laughs> It's any company. This could be well, any company. That might be true, unfortunately. But this is covering 100 current and recent UK staff at McDonald's. Um, the BBC began investigating the working conditions at McDonald's in February after the company signed a legally binding agreement with the Equality and Human Rights Commission in which it pledged to protect its staff from sexual harassment. So this is what came Oops. after the BBC independently uh, uh well, I, but I, I will say what's interesting. The reason why I'm covering this story today is I'm, I'm always fascinated with the way media, uh, the way it portrays business news in general, is that this is a big story out of the BBC, a big story on some outlets. But when I go to like CNBC and I click on McDonald's to look at their recent news, nothing. They, so I'm just, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just fascinated with this kind of stuff. Like this is, cause this is a stakeholder capitalism, right? This is, this would be stakeholder capitalism news. No, 
So Strive does not care about this, right? Okay, because right? they they don't care at all about this. Well, and the next, Although, I yeah, will say, yeah. I will say this, um, I, and we don't talk about this much here, but Scott Galloway on Pivot and, mm-hmm. and the Prof G podcast talks about this all the time. He's writing a book on it. Okay. He talks a lot about masculinity and toxic masculinity and recapturing masculinity and stuff like that. Recapturing masculinity has it yeah, gone it's somewhere? Like the, I, it's the yeah. idea that there's like this, like men don't know anymore how to be men because they've defined themselves basically as a bunch of you know uh gropey smoking steer herders i don't know what they define themselves okay so now it's difficult and men are more likely to commit suicide now they're less likely to have an education they're more likely to be lost in the job market um like all of these stats a lot of which i i understand but I will say when I read a story like this, maybe rule number one could be stop groping people. Like, the, the, there just shouldn't, like, a, a sexual, like, touching someone ever when they don't want you to or they didn't ask for it. Can't that just be rule number one? That's not manly. That's not masculine. I'm just, it just I, strikes me when I, whenever I see these stories is like, what is that instinct? Stop it. Here's here's another reason why I'm covering this is that and then in the next iteration of our beautiful platform, Free Flow Analytics, when we're finally able to tag our content to the companies and to the, the we have stickers, a client. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll be able to go to the McDonald's page and not only see uh, you know, we'll be able to see the performance of the board members and see their influence, but you'll also be able to see stories like this right alongside. It won't yeah. be like CNBC. Won't be that like CNBC. Happening. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And finally, uh, before I move on to to you, Matt, I did do a I spent way too much of a time in a deep dive on the ESG working group members. This is the Ooh, I like this. This is the the Republicans in the Congress who are uh, spearheading this ESG month. Uh, self self titled ESG month. Yeah, they called it that. Yeah. ESG month. I I don't want to bore you with this. I, here are my takeaways. I I kind of gave up after I, the first three people I looked into: Bill Hazenga, Ann Wagner, and Barry Loudermilk. The one thing that was clear to me, which is also clear at Strive, is that this is very much based in a religious movement. And, and I'm not saying that uh, has been. based on subjective criteria. I'm just saying I, objectively I found that, th- that these people are very much aligned with a Christian movement. Okay, But again, I stopped looking into that because I got bored and scared. The other thing I wanted to tell you is this tidbit because it tickled me. Andy Ogle, Ogles? 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 From, ten, from Tennessee, one of the ESG working group members working to basically get rid of ESG. I like this part of his story. He's a self-proclaimed economist who, according to a so journalist, looked into his background. Um, uh, despite being a self-proclaimed economist, right, who would seem like a good per- member to be on this ESG working group, right, because you need people who understand finance or the economy, uh, he took... It turns out he took only one community college economics course, which he barely passed. <laughs> okay. And that at college, he enrolled in uh, the U.S. presidency, problems in government, political theory, and national security policy. And he failed every one of these courses. <laughs> Three years later, he took them again and failed them again. I And I looked at this. This is from a newspaper in Tennessee. I looked at his transcript. And indeed, I've never seen this before. The, he... He got an F in all those courses, and 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 yes, he took them again and get an F again. Like this is one of the, this is one of the key members of the ESG working group working to destroy ESG. Is a guy who lies not only about his background and educational record, but also it's just kind of a general failure. Well, he did say about that. Yeah. That this that there there was a a hack. He blamed his it's not a his hack. educational background yeah. on a hack. Also said he doesn't remember saying he had an economics degree. Yeah, um, I'll tell you why it's not a hack because this transcript that this new paper found was from 13 years ago, and it was like a it, they, there's a picture of it. It's a it's definitely like a printed transcript that we all us old people used to get. This is not a. This is not a, a hack created by some weird website. I mean, this is a physical transcript. Well, I will also say yeah. that it is a little bit dubious, his claims, because he his not only his educational background was found to be semi-fraudulent to fraudulent, yeah. um, he also then claimed he worked in like a whole bunch of other places that he never worked. Yes. He's, he might be... Is, 
Is he the original? Who's the the rep from uh, New York that is uh, horrible now? George um, Santos. Yeah, he's the original George Santos. Okay. maybe. And the only reason why I'm pointing this out is because as you're working and Ogle, Ogles, whatever your name is, as you're working to destroy ESG, you're realizing that this is why, say, the G is so goddamn important. Is that it allows yeah, us to understand? G. <laughs> is it allows us to understand who these people are and what they're up to? And, and you give, and then you give investors the choice of whether they want. Just like in the real democracy, in the alternative democracy, now we have the choice as investors whether maybe we want to vote this director out for being a fat, dumb liar. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I actually have no proof that he's fat. I have no proof of that. <laughs> no, but he's a dumb liar. The, I do have proof he's a dumb <laughs> liar. Proof of the other things. All right, All right I've talked do, way too much. I've talked. Let's do something. Come on, now. you do something. It's totally similar. Um, in fact, it's exactly the same. Here's what I have for you. It's why your board matters. You pulled two of the biggest board-related stories ever in ESG. At maybe ever for our show. And those two definitely. things were the, the Tesla board um, clawback the of board pay, nearly a billion dollar clawback, like three quarters of a billion Incredible. dollars, and BlackRock adding CEO of Saudi Aramco to their board. Biggest well, troll ever. To say. Biggest troll ever. Let's start with Tesla, okay? Mm-hmm. The lawsuit accused, and you said this already, Musk of stacking the board with his friends and family, ensuring outcomes he wanted, and avoiding independent oversight. I am not going to say this is Elon Musk's fault, nor am I going to say this is the board's fault. Okay. I am going to say this is the fault of shareholder capitalism. Ooh. And do you want to know why? Uh, yeah, sure. Here are the votes for directors mm-hmm. in the last four years for the Tesla board members. Now, Tesla has a classified board, so you can't vote them all in. It's part in of the fact, problem, yeah. They can't even get, um, every year there's been a proposal to either reduce the term of directors from three years to two years or to make it one share, one vote. Mm-hmm. And they cannot get 66%. They need 66% supermajority to agree. And they and again, can't get that. Just so we're clear, this is yet another mechanism that Elon Musk uses to to main control over the board because because if shareholders get angry one year they can't vote everybody out at once but apparently part of the problem here is elon musk only owns on now he owns about 13 percent of the shares but he's owned you know between 18 16 13 percent of shares so he hasn't had enough by himself to kill the supermajority. Mm-hmm. If you add up him and his friends, they still don't have enough to kill the supermajority. What does that mean? That mm-hmm. means there are enough other investors yeah. who own shares in this company who continue to side with Elon Musk. The same is true with the directors. If I exclude Elon Musk's votes, Robin Denholm, named in the suit, in 2023... The real vote was 30% against her. Now, that's a lot. Yeah. But that actually means that's a whole lot for her. 70% of the other shareholders said she's good to go. Mm -hmm. J.B. Straubel, his best friend, 16% against was the real number. The, in 2022, Ira Arenpris, 33% against. Still two-thirds voting for. Kathleen Wilson-Thompson, 30% against. That means 70% for Denholm in 2020. This suit goes back from 2018 to 2022. Denholm got only 13% against. Everyone liked her. You don't stack the board without accomplices. That's my point. Yeah. The amazing thing to me, Matt, is that Kimball, Kimball Musk, he, he gets voted through. He gets voted through. In fact, in 2023, ISS suggested you vote against J.B. Straubel because of conflicts of interest with Elon Musk. Yeah. They suggested you vote for Kimball Musk. This is the yeah. This is one of the proxy advisory that Republicans are so angry about. They they yeah they they're so weak when it comes to actually uh, exercising its power over uh, corporations that they won't even tell shareholders to maybe. Maybe having your brother on the board is a bad luck. <laughs> Maybe it's not the best idea. You mentioned that this is the D- Detroit Police and Fire Retirement Fund. Uh-huh. One of the rabbit holes I went down was trying to find how they voted oh. on Tesla over the last five years. Okay. No data. 
They don't disclose it at no. all. It's nowhere. There's not even a policy. I couldn't find whether they use Glass Lewis or ISS or they do uh -huh. it themselves or somebody else. I couldn't find anything. But my guess is mm -hmm. even the Detroit Police and Fire Pension Fund was voting for some or all of these directors. Why is that your guess? That's my guess because they outsource all of the votes right, to, right. to proxy advisors who have uniformly voted in said it's okay, it's cool to vote for these people. So they only care when they sue, but when it comes to exercising your shareholder right, investors, where are you? You're, the, you're an accomplice. That three quarters of a million dollars shouldn't go back to Tesla and their shareholders because you're the fucking idiots who keep allowing Elon Musk to have a stacked board. It's a one share, one vote company, vote the fuckers out. But what we've been told when we try to sell them our data is that it's really aggressive to vote against a director. We've been told that by institutional, yeah. highly sophisticated shareholders that our data suggesting that people underperform and that you could vote against them because you have data to support that would be really which aggressive. Is, which quote, is odd. That's a quote, really aggressive. Which is odd to me because I, I would see it as an aggressive act if you controlled the voting power. Like if you had 53% of the vote and your vote against a director meant like that director was gone, I could see that as an aggressive act. But you're talking about investment companies that control probably less than 1% of the vote, right? And that's seen as an aggressive act? No, even if you control 10% of the vote, which you is but, but which rarely happens though. I mean, say so that even that's that's very but high. Saying, yeah, like their job, they are hiring someone to steward their capital. No, I know, I realize, I realize, but it's now, not imagine, controlling the vote though. Imagine if someone said to you, "It would be really aggressive for me to say that you're not good at your job," and I was your boss. It's right? odd. Like I hired you. It's odd. Like we we hire and fire people in this country like like it's. Like it's nothing unless yeah. you're a union. It's it's like you can get fired tomorrow for no reason. You just get a slip in the mail. It says like, sorry, you're two weeks or, you know, and you're gone. I mean, and, the, and yet it's really aggressive to vote against vote against a director who is you are hiring to steward your capital. That's uh, what their uh, job is. And my main takeaway here, especially since it's ESG month, is that this once again proves that the, the ESG industry investment firms, they're not slowly dismantling corporations and voting against no, of management. Not. They're, they're keeping it going, not only because uh, uh, they just don't, there is no agenda to, to break down capitalism, but also because they're even too afraid to look like they care, according that, to, I, yeah. Like, it actually, a quote like that, to me, proves our theory that capitalism is not a science. It's not about cash flows. It is a kabuki theater. It is a social construct because if you are afraid, if you're too much of like your directors are so, so snowflakey yeah. about getting a vote against them and you're afraid to offend them, then what are, that's not capitalism. That's not excellence. That's not measurement. That's not data. You're doing that because like you're afraid your buddy at the golf course is going to be pissed with your vote. Right. That is the absolute wrong system. In fact, Strive might, the only thing they might be doing right is they aggressively vote against directors. They aggressively, I don't agree aggressively that they vote, vote against, against, against women. Female directors, yeah, yeah. But they're doing it, right? Like they're doing what more investors should be doing if they use data. If they actually had a well, theory of the universe, I was going to say you're you're also supporting once again why you don't want to get rid of ESG data. I don't care how you use it, but you never want to eliminate you know, you different less. ways to evaluate the people. <laughs> I've got an idea. Let's have running your company. Yeah, which brings me to number two about Tesla. The settlement wasn't ever about friends and and pay on the board. In fact, Tesla and their board settled because during the discovery process the judge presiding was about to release um, communications with their auditor. So uh -huh. they would have had to release a whole bunch of audited like uh -oh. uh, communications with PwC yeah. and communications between a director and Tesla's general counsel. Ooh. Steve Jurvetson compl yeah. was complaining he didn't get enough compensation. He didn't get compensation he thought he was entitled to. Probably because... He only got $1.2 million in director compensation. Wow. 
compared to Kathleen Wilson Thompson, who made $7.3 million in the year of the communication wow. in options to put and this, in cash. To put, to put this number into perspective, the entire Southwest board, which is about what, uh, 12, 13, 14 members, in aggregate made just over $1 million last year. Correct. Yeah. So this is the, one director are, who made $1.2 million and is upset about it. These are people who were complaining that they weren't making enough and they were getting $1.2 million in options. I don't even grants. know how they were allowed. That year. How, that was 2020, right? I don't even so, know how the SEC or the listing exchange allowed these directors to call themselves independent after getting so much money, honestly. but Really, my story. takeaway yeah. was not like this is a great G moment where mm-hmm. we're clawing back finally and congrats to the you know Detroit police and fire pension. Yeah. This was that if investors actually cared and did their fucking jobs, right. they would be voting totally differently. They would Musk would not have more than 70% of the board influence. He would not Kimball Musk would never be there. He's still on the board. ISS still recommended him. It shouldn't be the case. Period. That was so that's number 1 with Tesla. Okay. Number 2 with BlackRock. And mm-hmm. I'll keep it short because it can't yeah. be a four, seven hour show. I can't yawn another 455 times. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great for the live stream when you're yawning, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, we still have Paul coming up. Paul, I'm not saying that Paul is yawn worthy. I'm just saying we have to make. Paul has been waiting in my green room for 20 minutes. Well, he can, he can wait for another 30 right. seconds because BlackRock adds the CEO of Saudi Aramco to the board. Mm-hmm. This is a board, as I said, 50% controlled by Fink, Wagner, and Capito, all BlackRock founders or insiders. All the other directors, we think that this is like, oh, we're signaling something to the Republicans, like, look how oil friendly we are, or we are moving off of ESG. If you had actually looked at who's on the board now, they mm-hmm. already had a member who sits on the board of Kuwait Petroleum Fund. Oh. Bader al-Assad yeah. already is an oil director. Wow. Like he's do we we needed another one for what? They have another director who sits on the board of US Steel and Halliburton in Gerber. Wow. 60% of this board is already connected in two degrees or less. They all know each other. This is pure optics. This oh, is look, just a dog and pony show. This, is, We're not, this, is, this isn't real. This is why, you know, we back when Larry Fink and BlackRock became the target of the anti-woke and the anti-ESG, this is why we giggled for three days straight because there's no one in the ESG world who ever considered BlackRock to be woke or, e- or to know, be ESG that was company. Joke. We made yeah. fun of them. That's why we giggled. Yeah, <laughs> We giggled for like so years. It's, so it's no surprise to us that Strive Asset Management is already sort of changing its tone and tenor because you don't know what the hell you're talking about in general. Shall we bring in, let's bring in. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm too ranty today. Let's bring in Paul to yeah, calm us down. I'm like, I'm, All right, Paul, come on in. Let's, let's listen to what you have to say. Hello there, Paul Hodgson with S-Gage Statistic of the Week. So for the last few weeks we've been talking about CEO compensation. And this week I've decided to switch over to looking at some of our statistics on director compensation. So first of all we're going to look at a comparison between the S&P 500 directors and Russell 3000 directors. The comparison between the packages is is not a very differential one. 97 over 97% of directors in both indices receive cash retainers and almost 90% of the Russell 3000 directors and just over 96% of directors in the S&P 500 also receive stock awards. Now, stock option awards, which have been going out of fashion for some time now, are slightly more common in the Russell 3000 than they are in the S&P 500, 13.6% of directors receiving them in the larger index and only 7.4%, roughly half, receiving them in the S&P 500. Similarly, meeting fees, 7.6% 7.6% in the S&P 500 and just over 10% in the Russell 3000 make up a very small proportion of uh, total compensation for directors. And for other compensation, which can be anything from perquisites to uh, travel benefits, etc., etc., um, something I think we might look into next week, there's about 9.9% of directors in the Russell 3000 receives some form of other compensation 
but it's almost a third in the S&P 500, 29.7% receiving other compensation in the S&P 500. As I said, that might be something we want to look into next week, um, a bit more detail at least. So that's our look at the comparisons between those two indices. And what I'm going to do now is just switch to just the Russell, uh, sorry, just the S&P 500 and look at the development of direct compensation over time. And I'm sure that this uh, kind of development will be mimicked for most of the directors in the Russell 3000 as well. But what we've seen is um, a steady decline in the proportion of directors receiving meeting fees from 12.3% in 2019, as I said, down to 7.6% in the SP 500 um, in 2023 proxy filings. Um, we've seen uh, not a steady, but an increase in the number of directors receiving uh, stock awards from 95.7% to 96.1% over that same time period, 2019 to 2023. And again, a, a, actually a slight decrease in the proportion of directors receiving a cash retainer from 98.4% down to 97.7%. Not a huge difference, but a difference nevertheless. For stock options, again, it's actually during the period it's it's jiggled around basically the same the same proportion from seven point five percent in twenty nineteen to seven point four percent in twenty twenty three. But actually the the proportion of directors receiving other compensation, other forms of compensation, has risen from twenty three point five percent in twenty nineteen relatively steadily up to 29.7% in 2023. So they're not large changes. Direct compensation tends not to change very dramatically. As I said, the biggest change has been the, the demise of the stock option and the increase in the amount of stock awards being awarded to directors. So I think, uh, yep, next week, I think we're gonna have a closer look at that other compensation figure and have a look and see what some of those, some of those amounts are. So this is Paul Hodgson signing off uh, for Edge Gauge Statistic of the Week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Wow. Paul throwing heat and some timely heat too because we're just talking about director compensation and it getting all clawed back. <laughs> Thank you, S. Gage. Thanks, S. Gage, for sponsoring our show. That's Damien Rollis. I'm, I was full of BS. Now I guess I'm full of BM. How that's going to work going forward. I don't think I like it. Um, we are Free Float. This show is also sponsored by FreeFloatAnalytics.com. Go underneath the little login button is a free sign-up. You can get the S&P 500, every director, their influence and power, their performance. It's all there for you to see and check out. Until Friday when we do a week wrap-up, I have a big announcement today. Well, yesterday, Ari had her baby. Woo! So Ari won't be on the show for a little while. Oh, even better. Yeah. <laughs> we won't see her for a while. Ari and baby are healthy. It's a little baby boy. I get to see him yesterday. And uh, we'll tell you more on Friday. But otherwise, tune in then. Until then, goodbye.